Isabella Stewart Gardner, a New York native, married John Jack Lowell in 1860. After their marriage, the couple moved to a home in Boston where they had originally planned to start a family. The two felt drawn to adventure and quickly embarked on their adventures to Europe. While there, Isabella felt drawn to the intellectual life and environment and was eventually invited to join the Dante Society, a society motivated to promote Italian culture by Professor Charles Eliot Norton. After her cultural curiosity was piqued, Isabella began collecting an array of rare works and manuscripts. Later on, while visiting Venice, she came upon the Palazzo Barbara, which came to be a major inspiration in her later work. In 1886, Isabel became acquainted with Bernard Brenson, a bright young Harvard student who later became the chief art advisor at her museum. The two became good friends with mutual interests. Brunson once wrote of her, she lives at a rate and intensity with a reality that makes other lives seem pale, thin, and shadowy. Later on in life, Mrs. Gardner established her museum, named after herself, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Opened in 1903, the Gardner Museum became one of the most prominent museums in Boston, housing many rare works collected by Isabella herself, such as Rembrandt's self-portrait, Titian's Europa, and Vermeer's The Concert. Although Isabella died in 1924, her legacy lives on in her museum as it continues to welcome visitors today and for years to come. The Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum opened in 1903, located in Boston, Massachusetts, a well-known American city. The museum contains work collected by Isabel herself throughout her life. She collected and displayed over 7,500 paintings, sculptures, furniture, textiles, silver, and ceramics. 1,500 rare books, and 7,000 archival objects from ancient Rome, medieval Europe, Renaissance Italy, Asia, the Islamic world, and the 19th century France and America, according to the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum website. The single largest property theft in the world took place in 1990 when 13 works of art were stolen from the Isabella Gardner Museum while the museum was in the middle of replacing their security system, thus giving the thieves a much better chance of stealing the artwork. The total monetary value of the pieces is estimated to be around $500 million, yet some experts actually believe it could be more. The crime took place on March 18, 1990. Two museum workers, Rick Abbott and Randy Hestead, were working overnight as security guards at the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum. Abbott had reportedly shown up to work drunk on various nights, whether it was after playing a rock concert with his rock band or winding down with a drink before reporting to his overnight shift. Though, he claims on that night, he had a clear head. The two young men took turns patrolling the galleries and exhibits. Around 1 a.m., Abbott took his turn at the security desk. At 1.24 a.m., two Boston police officers asked to be let in. Violating museum protocol, Abbott buzzed them in, believing them to be there on official business. The two officers informed Abbott that they had been called due to reports of a disturbance. 
Earlier in the evening, a motion det detector had gone off. However, neither of the guards found anything suspicious. The officers then told Abbott that they had warrants out for his arrest and told him to stand up. Moving away from the only desk with a panic button, Abbott was arrested by the two men. He recalls, however, that he thought it was strange that he wasn't frisked before the handcuffs were placed on him, according to reports from Bloomberg, an international news and media agency. The second guard, Randy Hestad, was also arrested. During his arrest, he asked the officers why they were arresting him, to which the men responded, You're not being arrested. This is a robbery. Don't give us any problems and you won't get hurt. The two security guards were bound with duct tape and led into the museum basement, where they were left for the remainder of the heist. The thieves proceeded to the Dutch room, as shown by the museum motion detectors. Here, they began to remove the paintings by cutting them out of their frames. Anthony Amore, the museum's head of security, gives an audio tour of the heist. Their next target is another large Rembrandt, the other empty frame on the same wall. It held a double portrait of a Dutch couple. Same method. The thieves take it down and put it on the floor. Then, using a sharp blade, probably a box cutter, they cut both paintings out of their frames. There are deep gashes on the wood supports around the edges of the canvas. They leave those supports behind. It's really a horrific crime scene. They took many works by Rembrandt, including Christ in the Sea of Galilee, his only seascape. They also took a double portrait of a Dutch couple called A Lady and Gentleman in Black. The final Rembrandt stolen was that of mountains and a cloudy sky. However, it was not really a Rembrandt, but the work of one of his students. The robbers also stole Vermeer's The Concert, one of only 36 existing Vermeer paintings. Not only did they take paintings, but they also managed to steal an ancient Chinese bronze goo or beaker and the bronze eagle finial from the flagpole of Napoleon's 1st Regiment. One thief headed to the short gallery where he took a number of works by Degas before moving on to the blue room where he stole the Shea Tortoni and oil on canvas by Edward Manet. Lasting only 81 minutes, unlike most art robberies, the two thieves were able to avoid any interactions with law enforcement and escape with approximately $500 million worth of artwork, never to be seen again. A local news reporter phrased the people's reaction perfectly. There are many theories surrounding this case. Some believe it was an inside job and others aren't so sure. It is possible the thieves were tied to a local mob or that it was the work of a formerly failed art thief. It's possible even that the case could be connected to notorious mafia boss James Whitey Bulger. Even with so many suspects and theories surrounding the case, no arrests have been made. Theory number one, the mob. Robert Gentel, a local gangster, has long been suspected of hiding information about the heist. He has an incredibly long criminal record dating back to the 1950s, making him a valid suspect in the eyes of law enforcement. For years, he has been continuously charged and held by the FBI for gun and drug crimes in hopes that he will eventually break and divulge a secret. However, Gentel has not said a word about the heist. It is speculated whether or not he was really involved but the lack of evidence and the fact that he has successfully passed numerous lie detector tests makes it a bit less likely. So much speculation, however, it makes it almost impossible to be sure. During interviews, Gentel has snarled in response to questions 
lies, all lies, according to the Hartford Courant and Connecticut newspaper. Theory number two, the Irish Mafia. James Bulger, a known Mafia boss and former FBI informant, was contacted by FBI agent John Connolly. Bulger, when questioned about the heist, told Connolly that he had already tried to gain information about the thieves, but to no avail. The FBI thought Bulger may have been part of the heist, yet it was revealed that Bulger had only hoped to find the culprits because they didn't have his permission to steal the art as it lay within his geographical territory. Bulger only wanted them to pay the tribute that he believed he was owed. Bulger did, however, send out one of his close associates to learn what he could about the thieves. Stephen Flemmy later told agents that he had no leads other than the fact that the art had been moved out of the country. This information was passed on to investigators by Connolly, yet never truly led anywhere. The FBI's Investigation In 2015, two men, George Russifielder and Lenny DeMuso, were actually identified as the two robbers by the FBI. It was revealed that the men had ties to the crew of Carmelo Merlono, a local criminal, who may have organized the heist. It is believed that Carmelo may actually have been under the orders of someone with more influence than even him. Yet, the identity of that individual or group is unclear. Unfortunately, both Russfielder and DeMuzo died a year after the heist from a drug overdose and a murder, respectively, and Merlono passed shortly thus after, thus leaving no extra leads as to the whereabouts of the stolen art. The mystery behind the location of the 13 stolen pieces remains unsolved. Yet there is the possibility that the paintings are hidden in Dublin, Ireland, according to Charlie Hill, a former detective who received a tip-off from Martin the Viper Foley, a notorious Irish gangster. Foley claims that the pieces were shipped 3,000 miles to Dublin and hidden behind the wall in a house in West Dublin. Foley, however, has since dropped out of negotiations with investigators. of the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum is something that has very different feasible theories about who did it. The theories have different extents of how far they can be used. Who would have orchestrated this immaculate heist? Would someone be able to accomplish this heist? From my point of view, one of the security guards could have worked with a local gang leader to accomplish the heist from the inside out. Rick Abbott violated protocol to let the cops into the building, who says it wasn't Rick working from the inside. He knew the security was being replaced. He could have had the inside scoop. Who is responsible and where is the art now? For me personally, I think it's very plausible that in some way all these theories are correct, to an extent. As mentioned, George Reisfelder and Lenny Demuzio worked for Carmelo Merlino, the local gang leader. It was also brought up, however, that he may have been influenced by someone much higher up the chain. Could it have been James Bulger? In my opinion, this would make a fair amount of sense, considering that the art is believed to be hidden in Ireland. Bulger would have needed someone local who knew the museum to get the job done. The security guards themselves, or at least one of them, could have even been involved and aided Reisfelder and Demuzio. They would have known about the security measures taken, and the fact that security was, at the time, being updated. After all, Rick Abbott was the one to violate protocol and let them in, and had, on many previous occasions, shown up to work incapacitated. Who's to say he wasn't that night? Mm-hmm.